The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Welcome back to the next episode of the Chris and Joe Show presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum, providing you with our film breakdown as we typically do on Tuesdays with a normal week. We've had a few days to digest the film, take a step back, unlike which we typically have. Usually we'll watch the game the next day on Monday in preparation for recording, but we had a few days to separate ourselves from the performance on Thursday, think of it in a different perspective, and break down some of the various things that might have held the Giants back, as well as some things that worked well. Overall, though, we've got a lot to break down on this Giants loss to the Philadelphia Eagles, a very narrow game that we were all pretty justifiably frustrated by their inability to close out and win a game that they were leading by 11 points with five minutes to go. Before we get into that stuff, though, we want to talk about the trade that happened on Friday. Marcus Golden, the edge rusher for the Giants, number 44, was traded to the Arizona Cardinals for a late-round draft pick. And you might be wondering, well, what what do you really get out of this if you're trading this guy, Golden, for a late-round draft pick who had 10 sacks last season? Is it really worth it? Considering the fact that he was barely playing, even with the Lorenzo Carter injury, This is a pretty good deal. They have no tie-in to Golden whatsoever, and you're getting a small return. This is a deal that any general manager should make if they're offered it. Yeah, and I really think that was it. The Marcus Golden, you know, despite all the Giants did to keep him around, really didn't seem to be in their plans, not for the future and honestly not for the present. So they just they had to get something for him, which is better than him just riding the bench. And also the Giants did sign Jabal Sheard, outside linebacker, uh, formerly of a lot of teams, but most recently the Colts. Yeah, they were able to make that swap here. So you do end up bringing in another veteran player, probably not as talented as Golden. Nonetheless, though, a strong deal that nets them some return and having him likely leave in free agency this upcoming year, you might as well make that trade and pull the trigger. So Golden no longer with the team. The trade deadline is slowly approaching. 
We could see some more moves as many expect the Giants to be sellers at the trade deadline. We'll see what ends up happening with that. We promise if any trades do go down, we will be providing reactions and breakdowns on any moves that possibly happen um, within the near future. Getting into the film and breaking down what we saw, we have to first address what happened with Andrew Thomas in this game. It was not, I don't want to say far and away his worst game, Chris, but it definitely was not a game that he played very well. He made a lot of mistakes. He had some decent plays, but he made a lot of mistakes that led to some unnecessary pressures on Daniel Jones. Yeah, the, I would say this is probably some tape he wants to burn. Uh, I kind of hope he doesn't because there were a lot of issues that showed up on his tape that he really needs to correct. I, I'm not sure which is the biggest right now. Probably the fact that he's leaving himself open to inside moves and the shortest distance between any two points is a straight line. And if you can give up the inside path to the quarterback, that is almost a cardinal sin for an offensive tackle. For me, the the one thing that just kept frustrating the hell out of me while I was watching him is the, the, the blatant oversetting that he was doing. Typically, when you are uh, uh, playing tackle and you're in a pass protection situation, you are asked to kick set, which just basically means uh, you're, you're expected to keep your center of gravity low. You're expected to uh, push off of your front foot and then gather with your back foot while at the same time recognizing what the defender in front of you is doing. So early in the game, whoever he was facing, it, was, it wasn't the same guy every single time, but early in the game, there were reps where he was, instead of coming back more, he was stepping very wide to the left, leaving a wide open lane between him and Will Hernandez. Eventually, once defenders on the Eagles' defensive line realized what he was doing, they started baiting him into doing that. There were some plays where he didn't even he, he didn't even overset, but he was still baited into doing it, leaving a wide open lane up the middle. Those are mistakes that you can't make. And understandably, Thomas is a rookie. So we're going to give him a little bit more leeway than you typically would with another player. But that that those are mistakes that are easily correctable and he needs to fix them. And it was so glaring in this game that it, it just it becomes more and more frustrating the more obvious it is. Yeah, it it almost looked like Thomas was either afraid of getting beat to the outside or possibly overcompensating for the wide nine, the nine technique edge rushers the Eagles like to use. And granted, Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat are very athletic rushers, but I don't think Thomas had to sell out quite like he did to set that overset that far to the left. But there were also quite a few other problems I noticed. Uh, he was having a lot of trouble with his hands, which is something Mark Colombo has brought up going back to training camp that he, he his, the accuracy of his strikes is just lacking. And there were times where I saw him get his hands up about where they should be, but just have them out wide, which just gives up his chest plate. It negates the length advantage that his long arms give him. So it lets defenders get in. It lets defenders get control of him. And we saw that. Other times, his hands are low, which again, it gives up his length and leverage advantage. Other times, instead of staying back in his stance and keeping 
good pad level, he would lunge at defenders and really just get almost trying to throw his entire body into the punch. And that just made it entirely too easy. And then again, you talked about the oversetting, make it, making it just way too easy for these edge rushers to get a path into the backfield through the B cap. It's really depressing for me, Chris, that we have to use Eric, Eric flowers as the precedent for bad left tackles uh, of recent memory but the way that I, I look at this with Andrew Thomas, as we're pointing out his mistakes, he is at least making mistakes that are correctable. He knows what he's doing for the most part. He's misfiring, like you said, with his hands. That is something that is just going to come with continuous repetition. He's going to need to put that work in. That's on him to do that. We, you know, we can point out all these issues, and Mark Colombo can point out the issues to him and try and coach him up. But if he puts in the time to correct them, that is entirely on him. So we could see a progression towards the end of the year and also into next year of cleaning those things up. It's not like with Eric Flowers, where we would watch him have no clue what he was doing and also not really much of an understanding of how to play the tackle position to the point where he was tripping people. So at the very least, and I know it sucks that I'm trying to use Eric Flowers as the comparison of, well, at least he's not Eric Flowers, but at least he has a grip on the position and he's just struggling with a couple things and he's getting beat by fast defenders like some rookies tend to do. I'd rather have Andrew Thomas than Eric Flowers. I, I suppose that's not exactly a uh, I don't think that's where the Giants and Giants fans hoped they would be when they selected Thomas. Right, overall. right. But I would say that the Giants definitely need to see some growth from him over the remainder of the season. If they don't, then maybe they need to start thinking about contingencies because they can't let Thomas go the way of flowers. If anything, perhaps they should consider moving him inside to guard. If we keep seeing these same mistakes showing up again and again, where you know maybe he's oversetting, worrying too much about his feet and losing his hand technique, put him someplace where his length and his size and his strength can be emphasized, and you know maybe he doesn't have to worry about trying to keep up with edge defenders in space out on an island. I will say, just with Eric Flowers, he did improve once he finally got moved inside to guard, which honestly surprised me. I didn't think that would be a good move for him, but it worked out fairly well for Washington last year, and it seems to be working out okay for Miami this year. So maybe that's something the Giants will have to consider if Thomas doesn't show improvement by the end of the year. And I think that that solution is a bit more of the ex- not the extreme, but if he's really struggling, then that's uh, I would keep that within the realm of possibilities, but the contingency that I came up with and I've pitched to you before, and I think I've brought it up on this show, but most recently after this game, I brought it up on Ed's show, Valentine Views, Valentine's Views, and uh, my point is that I think what we've seen so far, it might be better to use him at right tackle. Typically, right tackles are better run blockers. They're not always tasked with facing against the most athletic pass rushers. We saw Parrot look really fluid and um, quick-footed, despite not really having any reps to get acclimated. It, it might be better to swap the two. Let Parrot play left tackle and let Andrew Thomas play right tackle just based on their skill set. I think that would probably be the first step forward in seeing 
if that would work. And then if at that point he's still struggling at right tackle, then you maybe try uh, pushing him into guard. Yeah, I, I think the Giants almost need to keep all options open at this point. Just because of the investment in him, they can't afford to give up early. They have to try everything they can before they either trade him or let him go. They have to give him every opportunity to succeed. And you know maybe that's not fair to a late round pick or a UDFA who is just fighting to stay on the fringe of the roster every day. But when you have somebody drafted in the top five, that's just too much of an investment to let go to waste. Yeah, 100%. The, the other thing too that I really want to point out offensively and we we talked about a lot of Giants fans were upset with Evan Ingram's performance in the game, but I just want to point out how I really can't figure out what their goal is with Evan Ingram, how they want to use him, because they're using him like a really big running back. And I I tweeted this out, and somebody tried to you know correct me and say, oh, just say fullback, but they're not even using him like a fullback. If they were Using him like a fullback, they would be using him to block. But instead, what they're doing is they're putting him in the backfield. They're running screens with him out of the backfield. They're giving him handoffs. They're trying to run these misdirection motion uh, pop pass plays. And none of them are working because that's not what Evan Ingram's skill set is. And I know this is going to be maybe a bit of an odd pull, Chris. But if you look back to when Evan Ingram was most successful, it was under Ben McAdoo. And you know what Ben McAdoo did instead of running uh, all the things that we've seen Pat Shermer and Jason Garrett run with him? He used him as the matchup, the mismatchup with linebackers and also with safeties by trying to stretch the field with him, use him across the middle of the field instead of asking him to make contested tough catches. That's just not what he's capable of doing. I don't understand why they're not trying to use him like that because if they could and if they were doing it more often, I think he'd be making more plays. I I agree. And you know, thinking back to Ingram's rookie season, that stick nod route he ran was basically unstoppable. You know, he was juking linebackers out of their out of their cleats like they had no hope against him and he was too big for safeties too quick, too athletic for linebackers. And unfortunately, for the last three years, we have basically just seen him running three to five yard routes or getting the ball behind the line of scrimmage and having to make five defenders miss. It really is weird the way the Giants use him. Maybe it's the organizational philosophy that led to the team hiring Pat Shermer and hiring Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens, who had a, a very similar tight end in David Njoku, a guy a lot of Giants fans thought the Giants were going to draft. And really, Njoku had a lot of the same usage and issues under Freddie Kitchens. So it's it almost seems like the Giants don't want to get coaches who could use Engram the way he should be used. And the sad thing is there's a a strong likelihood at this point that Ingram might not have entirely a a ton of time left with the Giants. And right now it doesn't seem like there's much of a trade market for him. But as his contract is reaching the end, his rookie deal is reaching the end, we might not actually get to see that original glimpse of talent we saw from him in his rookie year. Since then, it has been uh, not entirely downhill, but he has not performed 
at the level that we have always expected him to and the level that we have talked him up to. It's been disappointing over the past few seasons. We're going to discuss some of the defensive takeaways. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Chris, this defensive line's performance, as we would have expected going against a makeshift offensive line, was very, very good. They were creating a lot of pressures. They had good sack production, and they could have had more had Carson Wentz not successfully thrown the ball away on a number of occasions. There were at least two to three times in the first half alone where I noticed that Wentz threw out of a sack and it didn't count as a sack. But the bigger issue with this, though, is that the defensive line played played well and it made up for some of the deficiencies in the secondary. The Eagles were able to move the ball down the field because of... Patrick Graham's commitment to running zone. It was a lot of cover three, cover four, not a lot of variation in the zone that we were seeing. And that helped Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson find those gaps to complete a lot of their passes and get the ball out quickly. Yeah, the Giants were, for whatever reason, and we can speculate on it, maybe it had to do with not having Darnay Holmes and Adrian Colbert uh, having to play more Nate Ebner and Corey Ballantyne, but for whatever reason, the Giants were just living in cover three and cover four defenses, zone defenses. And a lot of times they would start the play showing one and then rotate to another. Either way, the Eagles had it figured out. They were able to find the voids in those coverages and the Giants secondary really wasn't executing them really all that well. Yeah, and all those gaps that were were created by consistently running the same zone coverage just made it so easy for Peterson and Wentz to quickly figure out, all right, we can hit these quick hitch routes or comebacks in these small gaps in the zone. They also were pushing towards the sideline. As you might recall, towards the end of the game, that big play completed the high tower was along the sideline. So they were trying to find pretty much all of their passes in the gaps of the cover three and cover four that Patrick Graham was was running. And it was almost like, if you're not going to stop these plays, we're going to keep running them. We're going to keep running the same stuff until you f- decide to stop running the same coverages over and over again. Yeah, and the Giants really did make it easy for 
Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz to call the plays to beat their coverages. They made it really just pretty easy for Carson Wentz to look downfield. I, his average pass was a little over nine yards in the air. When you do that, when you give up chunk yardage like that, it makes it too easy for the offense to move the ball. And the Giants just gave the Eagles way too many chances. Rather than trying to close down or close those passing windows, they left them wide open all game long. And ultimately, that's what bit them. Last, just to to wrap us up, uh, we have to point out the collapse that happened in the final two defensive drives of this game because we can acknowledge all of the positive things that this Giants defense did throughout the game. They, the first three quarters and a half, they looked really good. They made a lot of good plays. They pressured Carson Wentz like they needed to. They knew that if they could hit home early on, they could force him to make some really poor decisions. He That led to an interception because he was so desperate to not take another sack. A lot of those plays were really good early on in the game. But final two drives, the defense completely fell apart. It was not the same quality of defense that we saw for the entirety of the game leading up. And you can point to possibly it being complacency. You can maybe point to that they were assuming that the game was was won and it was already done. That they, they didn't need to do anything else. They just needed to let the clock run out with five minutes to go. But that's not the case. You, you can't have that. You just need, you need to finish games. And that is something that we always talk about. But we saw it in the worst possible extent that they didn't finish. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how much more the Giants could have not finished this game unless without becoming the Atlanta Falcons. Sorry, I, I had to get that dig in there just because, you know, following the, the way Indiana came back and beat Penn State for the anyone who happened to be watching college football on Saturday, that was insane. And then the Lions basically doing the same thing to the Falcons the very next day. Yeah, That's not finishing. But the Giants came about as close as they could to that. Starting at six minutes to the end of the game, Nate Ebner actually made a play, standing in one spot. Um, Carson Wentz didn't see him at all, and Ebner knocked down a ball. Then the Giants negated a B.J. Hill sack with a penalty by Ryan Lewis, gave up almost 60 yards on that deep pass to Hightower. Giants had another penalty for too many men on the field, gave up a six-yard run to Boston Scott, then a touchdown. Then we had the Giants' final real drive, and before the Evan Ingram play, the Giants just completely failed to be able to run the ball. They had two good runs, and then three yards, no yards, which set them up with a third and seven. And then they had the Penalty by Corey Ballantyne on the ensuing punt. Then they gave up 11 yards to the through the air to uh, Rodgers. Then 30 yards through the air to Rodgers. Then James Bradbury had the pass the pass interference penalty. Then the Giants made a really weird decision on a run up the middle by Boston Scott and played a one down lineman dime package. Now this was with a minute 21 still to go, and the Eagles still had two timeouts, and the Giants just made really no effort to defend the run and that wound up being 12 yards so it's like at the end of the game it's like the giants i they just completely lost their composure they i don't know if they got 
cocky. I don't know if they got overwhelmed. If just as a team, they haven't really figured out how to close out games and win yet, but whatever it was, just about everything that could go wrong for them went wrong. And that, like that's the perfect way to describe it. All that stuff that you just highlighted right there, it, it was every single thing that could have possibly gone wrong on that play. It was every, or not on that play, on, that, on both of those drives at the end of the game. Every single one of those plays was a, a not only a mistake, but a, a, not all of them, but there were egregious mistakes that happened in that period of time that allowed the Eagles to get back into the game. They needed to be clean on a number of those important plays, and they just were unable to make plays and finish the, the way that they needed to. And that, that was really why I think so many people were frustrated, is because everything not only fell apart, but in the fashion that it fell apart is, is why we were all so shocked by the outcome. That it, it, it came down to that despite the Giants leading by 11 points. Yeah, when, when the Giants gave the ball back to the Eagles with a little over six minutes left in the game, they had about a 90%, 93% chance of winning the game going by uh, win probability. And somehow they lost. Yeah, that doesn't happen off of one play or even one series. That is really a team failure. And I think more than anything, that is the frustrating thing out of all of this is that they just keep finding ways to lose. That's going to be it from us, folks. Um, Hopefully this upcoming week, the Giants can turn things around, albeit it is going to be a difficult matchup on Monday Night Football facing off against Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, rather. Tampa Brady, however you want to say it. Tom Brady is going to be facing off against the Giants yet again, so we'll see how that game turns out. Another primetime game for us, of course. Be sure to follow us on social media at Big Blue View. Also follow us, um, you can follow me at Joe DeLeon, you can follow Chris at Raptor MKII. And also... Go to our website, BigBlueView.com, and also our YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Uh, That is just Big Blue View. Search that up for more amazing Giants content.